Weissman uh, live in Dayton, have been born in Poland in 1930. And, you know, in summer of 1939, the two most ruthless dictators aligned, invaded Poland, in occupied our city. I was, we, my family, were living in Lodz at that time. It's a city of about a million people, half of them, about 250,000, were Jewish. As soon the Nazis occupied the city, they immediately started preparing for the ghetto, started settling the Jewish to one particular area, build bridges, fences, and every day they came into the city, to the fenced-in ghetto, and they took out people allegedly to work. Some never came back. Some came back beaten up, half dead, and this was going on during the period I was there. In about December 1939, I was caught on my way to school one morning. I was directed on the street to go a particular corner where a truck was waiting, and I was pushed in order to go on the truck. Who pushed you, Marie? Who? Assessment were all over this, the streets with guns and bayonets, and everybody who was in the street, they pushed, uh, had to go up on the truck. No other way, no escape. As the truck was full, they took us about five to ten miles outside the city, where a line, a long line of trains, cattle trains, were waiting, standing and waiting for us. Snow was there, and they start screaming and yelling, emptying the trucks as they come along and entering to make us enter to the trains. The people who, younger people who can run fast, they went up to the train, but the older people who cannot, could not run as fast, were shot right in the place, and dozens of people were shot right there. Again, my impression at this time, I did not fully understand, it didn't, didn't seem to me real. I did not comprehend what it's all about. Finally, when the trains were full, the doors of the train were locked, sealed. Assessment were on top of the, of the train with machine guns, and we were on a way to an unknown destination. We traveled for about a day and a half. We were crowded, cold, hungry, and I still did not know what's all about. It was, for me, in that time, it was more excitement than fear. I was young. I did not comprehend the nature of this problem. But I heard what the other, all the people were talking among themselves. They said, oh, they're taking us to work. They're not going to kill us because they need our work. And eventually, we will be in Germany somewhere to do the work for them. 
How did they know you were Jewish when they pulled you off the street at that time? In Europe, particularly in Poland, you can easily identify the Jewish people. And many times if somebody starts screaming he is not Jewish, they, they ask you to show the, uh, the sex organ, to recognize whether you're circumcised or not. Uh, that's what I did. But uh, usually they recognize because along with the assessment, there were Polish people too who participated and assisted them. They identified this, this, this. They could say, tell which one is Jewish. Although we lived there, the neighborhood in that time was strictly Jewish. It's a ghetto. Non-Jewish didn't live there anymore. So they presumed that everybody who was there was Jewish. Murray, you were on that train in a cattle car with how many people? Do you I feel? have no idea what I would estimate now. That must be about 100 people in the train. It was very crowded. You know, when the train was shook, the whole mass was shaking in the train. And uh, very difficult, you know. Fortunately, there were some space between the boards that we got enough air to to breathe. Because otherwise you wouldn't. Otherwise we could have suffocated. And then what happened? Then we arrived to a place which is North uh, Grunov. That was, it's now East Germany. This is a stretch of uh, between Posen in Frankfurt, a mine in the east, where every three miles they had such a camp where in preparation for building a road, a road on the highway, what they ever have. So when we came to that camp, and uh, looked at it from the outside, we could see the defense, and there were huge tank, uh, tents on the camp, and, uh, like buildings, large tents. And the people with blue-white uniforms, wooden shoes, shaved head, all were standing on the place and jumping. And a big orchestra was playing marches. And the first impression I got, it's a circus, so, such a huge circus with so many unordinate number of clowns. I didn't understand what's uh, going on there. Till finally, once they start screaming and yelling and beating us, they get off quickly, went down to the camp, and they start directing us to unclose, take off the clothes. So we had to went through and made it one line. We took off our clothes, and we had to put each. They were very systematic on this. We had to put the, the jacket one place, the pants in another place, the shoes in a third place, and if you have teeth, rings, watches, this have been barrels standing, and everything was had to be out. And they were watching on both sides. They didn't let you have anything. Just the hand like this, and you had to go through. As soon as when you come to the end of this line, you had a, a guy sitting there and with a pen and made you know, the arm number. And when you went one next step, they looked you on your mount. When they, uh, apparently they look for gold, hidden gold or, or whatever, and they see if uh, you have anything there. And the next step, uh, they shaved your head. And uh, finally, they send you to a shower. You got a shower. And then there was another line, and they gave you the clothes. 
the uniforms. And uh, <laughs> then I said, as happens so that they didn't measure. They just, whenever it comes along, they were piled up pens. And a tall guy got short sleeves and short pens, and I got long pens. So fortunately, we were able to exchange. And once we got undressed, uh, before we put on the clothes, we still had, and it was a, a doctor, apparently. We didn't know. I didn't know at that time. He uh, started ordering, directing, the, giving directions which way to go. And when I approached, and he approached me, asked me, uh, hold on, how old are you? Well, I said, that time I was uh, nine. I said I was 13. And uh, because people already uh, got the message and told me. And uh, he asked me, what can you do? So I'm a carpenter. And he said, all right, I see. If you are not a carpenter, if you're lying, you're going to be shot right there. So he let me get by with a voting group. And as soon we got by, that uh, it was in the evening. And they pushed us, directed us to go to a pile of straw, a huge pile of straw, and gave us uh, sacks, like a mattress. And we f had to fill up the straw in that sack. And this was our mattress. And then they directed us to go to the tent. And that time we saw them tired and uh, fearful, not knowing exactly what's going on, what's happening. And we just lay down. And uh, soon we lay down on, on, the, on the sack of straw. Uh, assessment came in with dogs sniffing and smelling whether we didn't hide anything or didn't bring it away. Searched and jumped on us and tear us and bit us. And after this uh, inquisition went through, uh, they left us alone, and we fell asleep. You Again, had not eaten. We were hungry, and uh, very, very hungry in that time. But the next day, they woke us up about, uh, again, we didn't have any watch, we didn't know the time, but they woke us up, it was quite dark, and we had to straighten out the mattress, the, the, the sack of straw, and we had a blanket covered with a blanket, too. And it has to be the director to a microphone how to order the blanket to, to keep it straight and neat. And once we finished this, gave us about five minutes for that. We got dressed, dressed quickly, they chased us out outside. And then they gave us uh, some, we had a, each one got a cup of coffee, black ersatz, artificial coffee, and a slice of dark bread. And once we have that, we had that, they send us to the place, Anstellung, but each morning and each evening, they had a place where they, everybody had to stand in line where they counted us, information of five, and groups of hundreds or two hundreds. And uh, we stand in the line for hours till they counted everybody. Uh, it didn't matter, dead or alive. And when you fell down, you couldn't stand, so they still counted you. And later on, they disposed of the body if somebody was dead. And then they assigned, after they took us out, we marched, I don't know, a, a couple miles, and they took us to wood area, wooded area. And it was heavy snow on the ground, and they made us stamp, stop, walk on the snow. We couldn't figure out what it is, but it was cold, freezing, so you had to be in motion a whole day. 
you had to go and stamp bed that was knocked down the snow. Uh, later on, we figured out that this is the place where they want to make the road. So they want to diminish the, uh, reduce the snow, flatten the snow, that they can cut the trees. And that was our work. And uh, we did clear the snow, cut the trees, and uh, we made roads. The Ottoman was built from Franco to Posen. And we worked there a whole day. In the evening, of course, there was beating dogs when the assessment was watching that we were uh, active, that we don't sit around or talk, was not allowed. And once we completed the, the whole work, uh, they started counting us again, setting us in a group, marching in formations back home to the camp. And then at the camp, we stayed another hour or longer with, I don't know, there was about 10,000 people in the camp. And they had to count it to make sure that everybody was, and they, make, they had to search us. Even if we were a whole day in the guard, we didn't, no one could go away for a, a step without keeping watch. They still suspected us, they searched us whether we didn't pick up any weapons or we didn't pick up any contraband, whatever. They kept on searching us when we left and when we came back. Well, once we got back to the camp and they finished counting us, they let us go back to our barracks, or in that, at that time it was still the tents. But keep in mind, that was in late 39. The, the camp was not physically completed. All what they have are tents and an office for the assessment building and the rest they are in the progress. And uh, there was no water, no facilities to wash, no toilet facilities, no paper to use, and no tables, nothing was there but yet we had to be clean, we had to be uh, in time, everything has to be done as if everything would be available then. Now, once we got back to the tents, they brought the, in, in bills, they brought the soup, and they gave us a metal plate and a bowl of soup, which was essentially water in grass, some kind of grass. And once we swallowed this down, we sipped this down, then we began to feel the hunger, This the soup only agitate our appetite. And once we finished after this meal, we had to clean our dishes, then because they had an inspection to see whether our dishes are clean. So again, we had to stand in the line and the assessment went through and checked our dishes. And we did the best thing we could. We wiped it out with our uh, clothes, clean, an assessment comes and asks the next the guy to me on the right side and says, did you clean this? He said, yes. And then he started hitting me, is this clean? You call this clean? And he started hitting him and kicking him with it over his head and his face. So I said, he said he cleaned it. It wasn't. So I said, maybe I say I didn't. I didn't clean it because I didn't have any water. Before I was able to give the explanation, he started hitting me why I didn't clean it. No, though you couldn't win. Whatever you say was uh, wrong. So after we went through this inquisition, they made us go around in the camp, pick <clears throat> the grass, uh, 
dirt, whatever, to clean up the place. And at that time, we have an opportunity to talk to the older prisoners, and they told us what it is like. You know, we began to realize that's a place of torture, death, and misery. So this was going on day after day. You got up in the morning under heavy abuse, fighting. You have went to work. And there you were abused, you were beaten for not working fast enough. And after about, about two or three months of this type of uh, conditions, people began to get swollen, swollen legs. Uh, some of them already committed suicide. They went around to the fence. They couldn't endure the pain. And some of them were sick, got swollen, they couldn't go on. So one, I think it was one Friday, and they had picked about 45 or 50 people who were sick, they couldn't go to work. And they took us, there was a, again a big place, the Platz, whatever they call it, the Anstellungplatz, where they, all executions were commit, performed there. So, the assessment were standing, there was a big truck with a platform down, and the assessment were standing in lines too with clubs, guns, and we were in the periphery, a circle made of all, all the prisoners, might be about 10,000. And when those 50 prisoners, uh, inmates, the sick ones, had to go through those lines in the assess, hit a, Till they dropped it or the stream, the blood was flowing, and everybody was pushed on the truck. And on the truck, uh, they were in each corner on the truck, was a gun with a machine gun, they sh shoot them all. And then he made a speech. Anybody who's not going to work is going to play sick, that will be your fate. And the truck took off, we didn't know where, and that was the first scene of mass murder I witnessed. Then I became to realize we, we are, what we are up to. So we were in that camp, I was there about a year. And then they took us to another camp, uh, to about uh, 10 to, uh, miles to another camp. I don't know why they switched us to different camp. Again, uh, the idea, my understanding is that they didn't want us to get acquainted with terrain, make contacts, or get used to get complacent, so they switched us to new areas. They had to make the new adjustment, new selections, and uh, this is the way they screamed the whole process. And for about uh, an, a half a year I was in, that was about in the late 40s. And they, for some reason, they took all the people, the, the, the road was already completed because what we did is uh, we cleaned out uh, the ground, make it straight for the in, uh, no everything was necessary to make a road. Uh, uh, lakes we have to clean lakes in the cold winter time. For they had an idea we had to go in with our clothes in the lake and pick out weeds from the lake for whatever reason they have, they know they got to clean it out, they want to divert it or whatever they want to do to get the road across. So 
So I was in about three of those camps, Zelkov, Grunov, and Nothausen. Those are the three, if I remember them. And finally, at the late 1940, they took us to a real camp. They took us to Auschwitz. Again, that was the real thing. At that time, the crematoriums they started building. They are not finished yet. But we, the whole camp, we were about several camps together, the small ones. Everybody was cleared out and they took us. And Had you heard anything about crematoriums up until that point? No. No. no, we don't. We know that they burn people in masses, and that's what we saw in Auschwitz, where they had a, a huge, huge hole, a couple blocks long, deep, uh, digged, and uh, very nicely done in a slated way, you know. Slanted way. A slanted way, you know. Uh, and it was piled up, people from the train were dying, people who were shot who couldn't go or couldn't do anymore. So they piled up a huge mass of people in Auschwitz in that time. And they put a wood around the edges and they put some gas or any other and they put it on flame and people burnt. Must be there hundreds and hundreds of people piled up on the top of the throne, and and uh, funny when they made people uh, f pile up symmetrically, one this way and one this way, one this way and one this way. They, the people have been voting, prisoners have been voting at this. They have been uh, orderly piled up in, in rows till uh, filled up, and uh, they burned uh, them to death. And Auschwitz was a, a different. A uh, complete different problem. And, uh, the work of us, of course, was not as over there we worked on the road, we were outside. In Auschwitz, you did not work outside, you worked inside. And uh, all what it is is a torture work. Uh, dig stones, uh, dig holes, and put them back together just for the sake of torturing. And every Friday, again, they made a real serious selections, and uh, they put one side and another side. Uh, uh, yeah. One time, I was pushed to the side, which I uh, know the left side was. Uh, I run back, and they start shooting after me. But I was running among the prisoners, and then one SS told the other, don't bother, and we catch him the next time. So I was there. That was a really... In, in 1941 and 42 was the most difficult time in Auschwitz because uh, they are engaged in a massive action of torture every time. They chased you around, whether you were at work, whether you were in the barrack. <coughs> they, they did not let you for a minute. You the continuous pressure of hunger pangs and sometimes thirst. We didn't have any water either. It was so painful and so demoralizing that all what you prayed, you wish you were dead because it stopped the suffering. 
but the beating, the abuse, the physical abuse, wherever you moved, wherever you, know, you had assessment all over the place. And, and they also engaged uh, non-assessment, like the German professional criminals. They, they were the off, the, the supervisors, they were the foremans, they were the capos. And they did just as well as the assessment themselves. Uh, they were trained, they were selected for that purpose, and they were too in themselves mass murders. And this is the way it was going on. And finally, after I was there about a year in Auschwitz, they took me to Buna. I was shipped to Buna. In Buna, it was a little easier because the Buna was the camp, a uh, limited camp. And then in the camp, there was a huge other camp where they had a lot of factories, uh, like the IG farm industry. They had a synthetic rubber factory. And uh, of course, I kept saying that I'm a, a, of course, they went through the same selection, the same process. Once I, while they said I was a carpenter, so they assigned me to a group to working as a carpenter. So we had, our job was in this particular group was to, uh, insulate pipes. There's a lot of pipes running all over the place. And we had to go on a very tiny a wire with a board, and, and it to, here's a wire, and here's a board was laying. We had to climb up there and stand there at the insulated pipes. It was cold in winter, <laughs> and I was afraid the wind could blow me off. So I was one day, and I, I started working, and I just I hold on, I couldn't lift, I had to lift up bolts and make it up there, and then insulate the pipes. So I was fortunate, I had a, a one Jewish man who was uh, overseeing the war, he was responsible for the war because he was the older there, and he said, Motke, don't, yeah, you, I won't let you go up there. So he protected me, he gave me some food upstairs. Matka was your Hebrew name. Yeah, the Jewish name. But unfortunately, two days later, they shot it. They put another bastard on this place, and, and it was missed the sky. And your mind was continuously preoccupied how to get something to eat. You couldn't function like a normal human being. Uh, if you imagine, take for instance, when you fast a day or two. What, is you, what do you think about? You, you eat nothing. But if this goes on day, week after week, month after month, all you become kind of an instinctual animal. All you preoccupied is look around and find something to eat on the floor, on the ground, or wherever you could. And, and there was any feeling of resistance or semblance is completely destroyed. They destroyed you your self-image, they destroyed everything you could, um, a human has. And this was going on and on forever. Once I was in Buna, it was relatively mild because the beating st stopped, because you, were, you had a job to do. Mm -hmm. So the beating wasn't, there was occasion beating, for instance, when you marched to work and from work. You had to sing. 
And if you didn't sing a sell song, you didn't sing, they beat you. Or if you stood idle, or if you want to go to the toilet, they, they beat you. But essentially, they want uh, you to do the work. They want to finish the, the factory work. So uh, the beating per se was not as brutal as it was in Auschwitz and was in some other camps. So in Buna, there was more or less a paradise by comparison that was particularly in the later years. In 44, it started getting much milder. Um, you know. And of course, they still kept screening. They kept selecting. The weak people, they still selected to, to, to burn them, to gas them. And the healthy people, they still kept still using and voting as much as they could. Through all this time, you had no idea what happened to your family? No. Now, we had some premonitions. Of course, when people came to the camp, they always had when, as, when the people who were there were killed or gassed or died, they had to replenish those people. You have to have a certain number of people that the German military government was in agreement with those companies, private German companies. Uh, that uh, you have to supply me 10,000 people for, to work, workers. So those who died have to be replaced, and there constantly came new people. At one point, there's a group came from Lodge, from my town, and who told me uh, that my parents were gone already. The exact date, uh, where, or not, the method, how they been killed, but I have a suspicion that during that period, that all the people from the Logigeta went to Treblinka, where they have been gassed and killed there. This, I know. But I don't know the exact date. You were in Bruno till when, Mary? I went in Bruno till they, they took us to Gleibitz. Once we were in Bruno for, uh, I think, uh, two years, a year and a half, a year, over a year and a half. So they, the American advanced and the French and the Russians advanced. Two uh, important th uh, things would happen to me to, in Buna. Uh, we worked on Sunday, Saturday, every day. And one Sunday, the, the, the Russians came periodically and attacked and bombed the place. And uh, the Germans, they run into the bunkers. They had a big bunkers, uh, cement. And on a Sunday, I figured I'd take a chance. I go to the, uh, I run to the bunker too, you know. So the Nazis say, you then, you, you belong here. You get out, you get killed. So I was afraid to run back because running during the alarm was suicide because they say you are a spy. So I stood. Uh, like this, uh, near a pool, and uh, and I saw coming down a couple of planes and smashed that whole bunker to places, including the Nazi who didn't let me in. That was a good hope for me. Yeah. When both the Russian army on one side advanced and the American advanced, they tried to clear the camp. Apparently, they have all intentions in that time to take all the prisoners out to the to the deep Germany to save us. 
and they kept making speeches, uh, deceptive speeches that uh, we need you, we need you to work, we're going to take you to Germany to work there. So they made assemblers all on the place and uh, they took us on a march to Gleiwitz. It was two and a half days, it was heavy snow and many people, I don't know, there were about 20,000 people in Buna, about a, a one-third died that March. We have to go, it was the heavy snow, we didn't have any uh, good shoes, so the snow was kind of brown and wet. You stepped in in the snow, you, you kept going, you have a sleep, you slept in your walk, you slept in your walk. And the both sides were assessment with dogs, motorcycles, and we went for two and a half days without food, without anything, till finally we arrived at a destination called Gleiwitz. Gleiwitz was a central point where all the prisoners from different camps were assembled, and they put us on a train in taking us to inside Germany. Uh, this, this was an extremely miserable experience. The, the, not, you were hungry, in sleep you were just like a weed, a broken, died out weed because you couldn't go, but you just automatically kept on moving, pull out one leg and they kept yelling, go schnell, mach schnell, go schnell, and beating. People were falling from both sides, somebody dropped down, he was stepped on it by the other prisoners, and there were no mercy, no one cared about anybody else, it just was a terrible experience. Anyway, we stayed there for a while, and then we went on trains that took us to the trains, and again, go, getting up the train was very difficult. Many people were shot. Sometimes I saw some people were trying to uh, run away, and a bunch of assessment running after them and shot them. And when we went on the train, there was a long line of trains, maybe hundreds of them. And people who could not get up were killed. People who uh, got up, and we traveled for eight days, eight nights, because the, we had to clear the lines for military transportation back and forth. So anytime when the military was supposed to come by, they put us on the side and we waited. Any time we were stopped we in, under a bridge where German people assembled and threw rocks at us, or, or cold water in the winter time, and, uh, and and of course hunger. You at this point you didn't feel any hunger, but we were thirsty. We didn't have anything to drink, so we had a can. I had a can, and an empty can, and put a string attached to it, a string, and let it out from the. And we picked up some snow, and that was our nourishment. Uh, so we wet our lips from the little snow that we can pick up. And at that time. I was taken to Dora. Dora was uh, another camp where the Germans make the VS, VFs. You know, the whole factory was built on a heavy mountain of rocks that a bump could not uh, touch it. And that, in the, apparently the Nazis knew that they were losing the war at that time. And here too I had a, a lucky experience where the Americans kept bombing every day. They couldn't bomb the 
cracks, so they bumped the surroundings, the access where the trains come. And there was one train, a locomotive, which when the Americans came, so I want to get to the locomotive, hide myself, so foolish enough. And again, and I to say, you, Jew, you don't belong here. You go there. Again, I was afraid. I stood there myself, like about a telephone pole. I stood there and was afraid to look up. This way, you had to be not to be suspected as a spy. And an American plane came in and shot that train to pieces, including that Nazi who didn't let me down. This is another beautiful experience I visualized. So. Over there, there was a very, and we had to clear up, my job with another group was to clear up. As soon the railroads were smashed to pieces, we had to take the old one off, put nuances that they, they can, the Americans destroyed it and we built it. And, and we had there one Nazi, uh, one SS man, who came down every morning. He was like a wild beast, he's running, he always had something in his hand, a shovel or pick. And he said, I cannot go to eat breakfast till I kill a couple of them. A couple of Jews. A couple of Jews, a couple of prisoners, yeah. And he, he did it. And I was one of the victims. He bayoneted me with my, my shoulders with my mind. He thought I'm dead. He left. And uh, as he accomplished his goal. So after he went away and the friends tried to help me, they put some clay on my wants to cover the blood. In that time, I was already sick. I couldn't do anything much. I could work, except I got the protection from the friends who helped me. You know, but in, uh, but I was in Buchenwald about in Dora about a month, and then they took us to Buchenwald. In Buchenwald, that I was not bad. I was in a block among the youngsters. We had a block, special youngsters, but they only had to do carry bricks from one place to another, and there wasn't so much beating. We have uh, civilians uh, supervise us. You know, it wasn't bad. That was in the last year. In the last couple of weeks in Buchenwald, I want to close it up. In the last couple of weeks in Buchenwald, uh, was not as much as a beating. But the Nazis still wanted to, when they wanted to evacuate everybody, when the, uh, the Americans advanced, so they want to take out all the prisoners, and many, many of them they took out and killed, either in the woods or from in the Baltic somewhere, and they drowned them in the Baltic. And, and every morning they say, appeal, stand up, and I said, oh, that's enough, I cannot go anymore. So this is what I crawled in among a pile of dead people. There were, of course, dead people all over laying the place, and, and I just lay there because I was wounded. I cannot, couldn't move, I couldn't go anywhere. So I was there for two days till I heard uh, a new voice new voices and the Americans have liberated me. When I was in concentration camp, I was hoping once I was liberated, I will go to the woods and live by myself and get away from civilization at all and avoid it. Because I, I learned to recognize what people are capable of doing. And the best way to avoid it is to get away from them. And it's a, 
again, to my experience, I didn't find a single Nazi who displayed some feeling or humanity or concern towards others. All were trained, conditioned, and executed all brutality they can. And I have here a, a quote from a German foreign minister, Hans Dietrich, who addressed uh, his, uh, a group in, 19, in June 85. He said, only a few Germans can be described as true resistors, fighters. The mass of the German people, also its soldiers, accepted the tyranny with dull, unshakable loyalty as a way to achieve a superior race of control the world. So once uh, I came to Paris, I began to get acclimatized to civilization, uh, to nice things in Paris. We saw movies, operas, music. I so if oh, oh, I'm not going to the woods, I make an adjustment. And I made to start going to school and rebuilding my life. And, and ultimately, I had the opportunity, and I came to the United States. And I got my education here, got my law degree, my psychology degree, and, and here I am. You must not say that you now walk the final way, because the darkened heavens hide the blue of day. The time we've longed for will at last draw near. And our steps as drums will sound that we are here. From land all green with palms to lands all white with snow. We now arrive with all our pain and all our woe. Where our blood sprayed out and came to touch the land. There our courage and our faith will rise and stand. 